there, and welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. Kate, how the heck are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, (laughs) Dylan. Um, But actually, the most important thing really here is how are you doing? Because I'm excited for our listeners to hear a bit of an announcement (gasps) that you might have to offer. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, as a trumpet playing conductor, I will take that uh, spotlight. Sure, mm-hmm. go for <laughs> um, it. But um, yeah, no, there, there's some exciting news in in my life that involves the podcast. So that's that's the really the only reason I'm telling you. I'm not just sharing um, random things with you. Um, but it, the fact that um, we did, uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but it was the hanging with Dylan and Kate episode where we mm-hmm. people were asking us questions, and one of the questions was, "What do you see yourself doing after the pandemic?" And at the time, if you go back and listen, I, I say there's something very exciting coming, but I can't tell you what it is quite yet. Big secret. And now I can tell you what it is. Um, so as of last week, I received my uh, official letter of acceptance to, to pursue my uh, doctorate in wind conducting at Arizona State University. Congratulations. Yeah. I know I've said Thank it before, you. but I will publicly on the record yeah. say congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you. And I and I need to put some on record too. Uh, Kate would, just did the sweetest thing and the, her Golden Hour piece, which I highly recommend you go check out. Um, the trumpet version, she dedicated to me in honor of this uh, great yeah. life-changing event. Um, so I'll have that for the rest of my life to remember that, uh, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but the, the reason I'm bringing up the ASU thing is because it's very exciting and all of that. Um, but uh, I'll be studying with uh, past BRP guest, Dr. Jason Kassler. Um, and you can... I've already went back to listen to the episode a couple of times just because mm-hmm. I think it's it's kind of a cool thing. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to be studying with him and Dr. Jamal Duncan and as well as Professor uh, James Hudson, who's the athletic band director, because I'll be working with the marching bands. There you go, so American listeners. Fun. I'm becoming yeah. one of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then trumpet with uh, Professor Joe Bergstaller, who is someone I've looked up to since I was a grade seven student. So I'm just uh, over the hill about this. So uh, yeah, this doing is all awesome. that. And um, what's really cool about ASU is that they're allowing me uh, to do, um, as my project, the podcast. So the podcast is actually going to play a pivotal role in my doctoral uh, research um, with um, part of my project being uh, creating a series as a resource for you, uh, the listeners, be you a a music educator or an up-and-coming music educator, um, some kind of resource that's going to help you. You notice that I'm speaking very vaguely because I don't fully know what that's (laughs) going to be. Um, And then writing, of course, the dissertation, Mm -hmm. which will involve um, podcasting and music education and, and all of that and all the other podcasts actually that uh, play a role in in music education uh teaching like the you know the the kind of the pd uh, for mm-hmm. us um so yeah it's all very exciting it is exciting and podcasts are just yeah such a good resource for so many people in terms of uh really sparking some ideas and shifting perspectives and highlighting the work of people in the field. So it's really exciting, I think, that you're going to be placing a huge focus um, on on podcasting, the art of podcasting and and uh, exactly <laughs> through your research. <laughs> so this is this is really awesome. Yeah. So it's gonna be fun. And speaking of that research, we I guess we should get cooking here on this mm-hmm. uh, on our news. But before we talk about the episode, would you mind doing us a huge favor? And what what favor might that be, Kate? <laughs> 
please head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts like this one and give the Band Room Podcast a rating and a review. This really, really helps other people to find the podcast and helps us grow our audience. Mm-hmm. Grow in the family, yeah. as we said last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, please go do that. It's a, it's really a great help to us. And hey, guess what? This is free, so why not? Hey, it's, <laughs> it, that can be your form of payment for us. Just yeah. go give that little five star review. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we had the great uh, pleasure of talking to Rob Taylor today, and uh, yeah, I just. I've only gotten to hang out with him, well, once in person, and then we've been in numerous meetings this past year together <laughs> um, over the magic of Zoom. But, man, he is just, a, just one of the most inspirational people that I look up to and, and really making a difference not only in his own students' lives, but just being an example in, in programming like we talked about and all those things to others yeah. is, is just really great to see. Yeah, it was it was an inspiring conversation for sure. He has been a huge advocate of my music personally and mm -hmm. the music of other living composers. And uh, it was just really great to hear some insight and perspective as to uh, how he approaches his work and to get to know him a little bit more as a person. And I think everyone's really going to enjoy hearing the conversation that we had. Yeah. And it was cool to hear that story at the end, the Carnegie Hall story. That's all I'm going to call it right now. <laughs> yeah, have I, to I had stay no tuned idea. to hear the rest of that. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of staying tuned and, and top secret information, um, we also recorded a uh, <laughs> a fun bonus episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to label this the second installment of our Band Trips Gone Wrong series. And it was, yeah, it's a gas. If you want to if you want to hear it, you can hear it by becoming a patron of the Bandroom podcast through patreon.com slash Bandroom pod. And you can find all of the wonderful bonus episodes that we've recorded. There's quite the back catalog mm -hmm. being uh, collected now. Um, and um, this is going to be after the fact, but tomorrow Kate and I are having our first Zoom community uh, hang, which is going to be really exciting. I know that mm -hmm. there's a couple of people planning to come, but it's a chance for us to get to know uh, the Patreon community and a chance for them to get to know us a little bit more yeah. uh, and all that. So it should be fun. And you can be part of that too for next month. That yeah. is April um, <laughs> if you want to do that. And it's going to be an immense help to us if you do. Thank you so much. Um, so I suppose without further ado... Here is our conversation with Dr. Rob Taylor. Here we are for another thrilling, exciting, life-changing Bandroom podcast. And I say that because I and Kate are joined by someone who bring, well, at least I can speak for myself, brings me great inspiration just being able to see all of the wonderful things that he's doing. And that is Dr. Robert Taylor from the University of British Columbia. Welcome to the band room. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Kate. I'm real excited to be here today. Yeah, this awesome. is great. And um, you've been on uh, our list for a while, and finally the stars have aligned and you are here. Um, and thank you for being the guinea pig for our new recording <laughs> platform. Um, and, so far, uh, we've had no issues whatsoever. So yeah. Smooth sailing. Yeah, sure. Smooth sailing. <laughs> um, like all technology. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, it's par for the course now, right? So. <laughs> a year um, into the but pandemic. I, I, 
Yeah. <laughs> but I guess uh, we'll start where we always start. And um, I, at least for me for a while, before I really, you know, got to know a little bit more about you, I, I claimed you as our own here in Canada. Um, but that is not where you got your start musically. So I was wondering if you could tell us uh, about how and where and why you started the great musical journey that you, you have started. Oh, well, um, that journey began in, in the womb. Um, my mother, (laughs) (laughs) my mother really inspired my interest in music. Um, and not maybe in the, in the way that you might think me having decided to pursue music as a career, but, um, just as a kid, I would dance with my mom all the time. Um, and we danced around the house and we had the best of times. Um, <laughs> some of my best memories are, you know, um, uh, dancing, you know, as a four-year-old um, with mom to the hustle or whatever, you know, was on the radio. Um, and we had this ginormous stereo. It was a wooden <laughs> cabinet that's like larger than any furniture I currently own, Um here and uh, and and it was quite loud and my mom would just crank the music and we would dance for hours around the house um, and that was kind of complemented with um, uh, a crop we lived across the street from a church and mm-hmm. the the organist it was it was this um, this amazing um, uh, organ um, that I would just sit next to as a kid and and listen to the sound. I would almost like put my ear right up next to the organ. And I loved the sound of that instrument when she was practicing. Um, And I would just, I remember very distinctly, even like age three or four, just humming different parts of the harmony as she was playing. And I think that really inspired um, my love of harmony. and um, uh, that sticks with me today. I noticed, like, I'm mostly a harmonic listener. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. And, that, and this is all in, in the great state of California, <laughs> is it? Yeah. So I was born and raised in California on, um, on the best coast. And, um, <laughs> and my journey has just been kind of a, a gradual journey up the West Coast um, in life. I, I uh, lived... Uh, in the Central Valley of California as a kid near the Bay Area, and then moved to Humboldt County and lived in the Redwoods for 10 years, which was really, really um, so life-changing. <laughs> Just so beautiful and inspiring. Yeah. And to literally, I lived across the street from an old-growth Redwood forest that I would just wow. wander through That's for amazing. inspiration or solace. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and a little detour to Chicago, which also is um uh uh feels um uh really odd to say as a Californian, but it felt a lot like California because we were on Lake Michigan. Of course mm-hmm. the the, right. the water was on the wrong side. Um <laughs> but <laughs> and then back to Seattle and now to Vancouver. And I'd like to say um I I've kind of journeyed up the West Coast and I love it here. Um I'm, I think I've gone as far north as I'm going to live. Uh in the West Coast, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? And this is probably just me, just because um, I'm also a trumpet playing conductor. But I'm wondering what what was it that led you to the trumpet and to maybe take that step into? Hey, I want I want to try being a music teacher. What what was that trigger? 
I, I think like all trumpet players, it was obviously a desire for, for pain Control. and misery. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, as a kid, I wanted, I wanted actually to play the trombone. The high school jazz band came to oh. my elementary school. I loved the sound of the trombone and I wanted to play an instrument that was, you know, in the jazz band as mm -hmm. a kid. And my mom said, oh, you don't want to be a trombonist. Trombonists are goofy. Um, and so she kind of redirected me, um, to the, to the French horn, um, which I thought was a lovely instrument, but you know, it wasn't going to be in the jazz band as far as I was concerned. Right. So it was trumpet was actually my third choice. Um, uh, but then once I picked it up, it just, it just felt like part of me, you know, mm -hmm. um, even as, as a grade five student, I have these memories of, you know, um, accidentally taking the valves out and putting them in in the wrong order and think I'd completely destroyed my instrument. Um, uh, and just feeling this deep grief and loss, you know, it was a part of me even right from the beginning. <laughs> um, and that's kind of morphed into right. channeling that love into conducting, into working with people in a kind of mm -hmm. a different environment as a performer. And, and, uh, as as a young trumpet player and then going and you know studying music education you ended up uh, before entering post-secondary world uh, as a as a high school band teacher and i know as a very successful one like an award-winning one so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your time um as as in the in the public school system yeah well um when i went to university of course um having a love for music i majored in physics of naturally. course yes naturally uh, yes <laughs> naturally <laughs> Um, and I, uh, it took me a while to find my path towards music. I always had a deep love for music, but I was confused about how I could make a career out of it really. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I had, it's so important that, that I had this mentor, his name was, um, Bob Hall Seth, a conductor at, uh, at the time at University of Pacific in California. And it was one of those million dollar moments where I sat down with him at an honor band and I was playing trumpet and he asked what I was doing. And I told him, well, it depends. If I do really well on my SATs, I'm going to major in physics. And if I don't, I might major in music. And he's, <laughs> he just, you know, politely said, you know, you can still major in music even if you do really well on your SATs. <laughs> and, and, it really stuck with me, this idea, because I, I never had imagined myself as being a professional musician and mm -hmm. certainly not a professional conductor. I just never felt I had the, the grace, you know, um, and um, that came back to me at just the right moment in my undergraduate that um, I, I just I was doing really well in the sciences, but I did not have a passion for it. And. So I think there's there was this aha moment thinking back to that little seed that was planted mm -hmm. and realizing that, you know, maybe I should do what I'm both um, a passionate about and that uses some of my strengths. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I knew it would be a lifetime of just working like crazy because I would never cross the finish line as a musician. Right. Um and and I think that's true for any field, really, but but especially feels so in music um, and the creative arts in general. Um, and I uh, that early those early experiences and leadership experiences in high school band, etc., 
led me down the path of of seeing my identity as mm. a, potentially as a band director, you know, mm. and and it is it's those when I think back to it, it's those those moments that, where things just sort of clicked and I could see myself doing a particular thing that guided me intuitively to that thing. Um, and, I, you know, so I've always been a little um, interested in people that knew exactly what they wanted to do and, and, and <laughs> planned out the steps to do it. Because for me, it's been this, this kind of um, pretty twisted path of following mm-hmm. my intuition at um, at each of those kind of main forks in the road, if you will, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and and I have found the thing that I love to do, and I have found the thing that where I get to use my strengths every day and and share them with other people, and um, that is just something that you know um, I carry a lot of gratitude for, mm-hmm. um, because we all speak to so many people that they're they're still searching for that thing and mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to stumble into it by kind of trusting my gut and by having some people that prodded me along and planted some really important ideas you know mm-hmm. early on so from there uh you ended up pursuing a master's and DMA uh, at Northwestern University with the amazing Dr. Mallory Thompson what was it that prompted that uh, portion of your or your journey? Uh, you know, I, I went to my first conducting symposium in, uh, in the state of California as a high school band director. I had a friend that recommended, hey, you might want to check this out. I was looking for summer opportunities and I had done um, some workshops in um, uh, African drumming, um, in uh, calypso and Latin percussion. Um, and, and every summer I was trying to kind of broaden my musical horizons. And then somebody suggested, hey, you might want to get better at the thing you're getting paid to do every day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and suggested that I go to a conducting workshop. And I, um, I went and watched, it was Eugene Corporon, actually, uh, who was the main guest at uh, Sacramento State University workshop. And what I, it just opened up this world of things that I had no knowledge of. <laughs> and, and um, you know, like the more you know, the more you know, you mm-hmm. don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and that kind of got me interested in wanting to become a, a better conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what led me to study with, with Mallory Thompson at Northwestern was... Um, a musical experience, watching her actually conduct an ensemble that had some of my own students in it. And I saw what a powerful, powerful experience it was for them. And I thought to myself, I want to be able to tap into and facilitate that kind of inspiration in young people mm-hmm. as a as a musician. Mm-hmm. And I felt very strongly that this would be the person that could help me find my way to do that Um, because she had instantly done that with everyone in that ensemble. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's the, that's the, that's the, the, the real story. But if you want to hear the behind the scenes story, it was, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, It was that Dr. Thompson was conducting the California Allstate band 
And there were some funny eggs um, at the hotel that morning. And many of the students got food poisoning. Oh, no. <laughs> and during the dress rehearsal, all of the band directors were in their annual meeting. And I just was spending every minute just observing these rehearsals. And in rehearsal, a student um, uh, released their eggs. <laughs> the <laughs> eggs went everywhere. And, oh, no. um, and I was the only person there. Um, and so, you know, as a, as a music teacher, as a high school teacher, you spring to action. When something <laughs> happens, you just, you're going to take care of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so our first, our first real interaction was me just helping in this moment when there was nobody else around <laughs> to help. Um, and, and, uh, we all, we just have such a good laugh about it because that's how we, got to know each other <laughs> through that set of really There's unfortunate some circumstances, <laughs> some rotten eggs that, you know, some, the, and everything um, went better from there. But, but it was um, that, that's a funny beginning, which we both have a laugh about on a regular basis. She makes me tell that story every time I see her. So that's awesome. <laughs> so it's okay to share it here. Okay, good. Great. Good. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, and I um I've I've talked about this uh a numerous times on the podcast, but the last time I traveled for a symposium was your symposium with mm -hmm. with Dr. Thompson. Um so and I remember um I remember not knowing what to feel that first that first uh, session we had there where we were just sight reading, right? And uh, and she got up, and I've just never felt that feeling of oh, I I need to be better. And I didn't. She didn't even say a word yet, mm -hmm. and um and just and and throughout the week that being uh, made more clear through watching her work with people, through just watching her make music, to to talking about Joel's piece and whatever it was. Um, um, and even just in that little sliver of time, uh, hearing what you're talking about and, and kind of understanding that uh, is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. Um, maybe, I don't know if it's while you were at, at uh, Northwestern or after, but you were involved in, in a number of their CD projects as producer. And um, we've talked, we've talked on the podcast about YouTube for many of us being uh, one of our greatest inspirations. Me being on PEI, I, I never had access to, um, you know, super high quality wind ensemble stuff. Um, and I remember watching that, that YouTube video, is it, is it rising? And where you're like in this, you're like backstage, you're like, yes, go, go, go. And that was the first time I ever saw Rob Taylor on screen. So, wow. Um, yeah, but it was a great inspiration to me just watching that Mislanka 4 recording process. Yeah. So, I was it looked a lot you... like this with the headphones. And... <laughs> yeah. But no beard. No, no beard. beard. Yeah. <laughs> Which I want to talk about later. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I was wondering if you if you could talk about that experience, you know, being uh, Dr. Thompson's ears in the studio and, and what 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 that was like. Oh, my gosh. Um, the the level of artistry um, there in the in the playing and the conducting in the works that are recorded, um, it's just at such a high level that you just can't help but be completely swept away by it. Um, mm -hmm. And it. That recording process, as everybody knows, is so different than uh, like a, a live music music making experience. But um, it, the goal of all of those projects was always to make it feel um, 
as as intimate and as exciting as as the real deal as the mm-hmm. live performance and to have the have the performance really show uh, the recording really show um the the artistic values you know of each of those projects in its own unique way and so um i i have to say that's the most challenging thing i've ever done in mm-hmm. in my entire life <laughs> um <laughs> is producing those recordings um uh, but the sort of the high level environment where everybody is contributing, you know, um, in their authentic way toward that outcome, it's what creates something that's kind of really special. So there's a big team of people that are working together, listening and and helping with all the logistics and making sure that the student performers just um, feel um, really supported and can do their absolute best. Um mm-hmm. And um, it's terrifying because you feel, you know, responsible for wanting to help capture that magic Um, Mm -hmm. and to make sure it's all there, which is like, that's the (laughs) the worst part about it. You know, it's like the worst nightmare is to get into the editing room and be like, we don't have this, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So it just carries with it so much um, weight and responsibility. But again, um, being in that environment and being able to collaborate with my teacher to mm-hmm. to actually collaborate with my teacher in that way um so deeply meaningful that I just want to pour every bit of myself in into it and um I think those have been real leapfrog moments for me as a musician um because mm-hmm. they're so challenging uh, I'm gonna make sure to to link that that little video there because it, it's a it's a great little snapshot. I know, like, we will never understand the amount of stress that you must have been under, but it is a nice little snapshot to see. It tells the story of the triumph of of yeah. uh, Maslenko yeah. Symphony Number no. Four, and I think you know by the time I I just love. I, I mean, the care that was put into that project um, mm-hmm. of just recording the behind the scenes even shows you the thoughtfulness yeah. of of those those sessions. But but I just love the way it starts clicking away really quickly, take after take after take, you know, up, yeah. to, up into the 100s. <laughs> yeah. um, and when we finally got those last bars, I'm telling you, like everybody in the room was, the entire building was vibrating from the sound. <laughs> And also from our collective um, uh, 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 excitement and uh, feeling of resolution, like, ah, we made it, (laughs) you know, we made it. Um, And it is a really special, it's a really special um, uh, work for me now because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to bring up the producing thing because I, I I often talk to our colleagues about guests who are coming on. I'm like, oh, what a, what did I what have I missed? So I was talking to uh, Jillian McKay. I'm like, what what can I ask Rob about? What can I ask Rob about? And he and she's like, you need to ask him about the producing. He has the best ears. So there you go. Oh, that's a huge compliment <laughs> coming from Jill. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what it's all about. It's really about listening and listening for detail in a totally different way than you do mm-hmm. on the podium. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's been a learning curve for me to yeah. learn how to do that best. And then to come back to the podium and, yeah, and not listen like that. Because if you do, <laughs> it will destroy you. <laughs> you know? And everyone um, around you. Yeah. yeah. yeah so it's. <laughs> that's awesome. It's so great that you've had 
experiences like that, that, you know, even someone as accomplished as yourself in your career, you're still able to push yourself and reflect in these ways on what you've learned from all, all of the different components of your life. And, and I think that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, Kate, as, as, as you know, like all of these different parts of yourself, when they, yeah. when they can be fully integrated, um, and, and especially when you get to use those, those parts in an integrated way on mm -hmm. a regular basis, it's, yeah. uh, it just allows you to go places that are, um, uh, embracing failure and learning from it and just looking yeah. at life that, that way has, has really, um, it's shaped who I am as a, as a teacher for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's really beautiful. <laughs> uh, we were chatting before we started recording about how you've actually been, uh, you've had the opportunity to do some in-person music making, uh, with your students lately. And so we would love to hear about your experiences teaching at both the university of Puget sound and also maybe what led you to UBC. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> This is this is so important. I I can't tell you how fortunate I feel that I'm every day getting to make music with my students during this pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. That we have forged a way through, you know, to 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 safely first, um, uh, but to find a way to be there together um, mm -hmm. through this. It's just been incredible and as difficult as it is to do many things online and and to be sitting you know three meters apart from each other and mm -hmm. all of the other things that we're doing um it it's taught us all a lot of things that we never i think would have learned um yeah. um you know we've looked at the ensemble in a different way we've looked at the way the season works in a different way we've done a lot of video projects. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm learning way more than I ever wanted to know about video <laughs> editing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and uh, so I just want to start from, you know, the present moment, which is one that I'm just, again, really grateful for. Um, but uh, my days teaching at University of Puget Sound are also... Um, some of my favorite, I love being in the liberal arts environment there. Um, the students are so smart and engaged in so many different ways. And music for, for many of my students there was going to be their vocation. But for many others, it was just a huge part of their education, even though they were majoring in something else. Mm -hmm. And just that is such an incredible environment to work in um, because everybody is bringing totally different frames to to every work that you uh, uh, take on together. Mm -hmm. um, what brought me to uh, UBC was what brought me to ultimately to Canada, which was uh, love. I came to Canada because my partner was Canadian and oh. um, it was honestly, um, uh, that was the, the primary motivation for mm -hmm. coming to Canada. Um, I never in my life had ever made a career decision, um, <laughs> you know, um, based on uh, prioritizing some big part of my personal life like that. Mm -hmm. 
And so that was the that was the inspiration for looking for opportunities in Canada. Um, and when this opportunity came up at UBC, I was just so ecstatic because um, I love Vancouver. I love mm -hmm. British Columbia. Um, I know that this is a, an institution where incredible things are happening in all fields, music and outside of it. And, um, and so I knew instantly that it would just be an incredible opportunity. And so if I could wed those two priorities, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, that, that was uh, just a dream come true. Um, an interesting story when I when I was packing to move to Vancouver, um, I came across a, a journal that that I I only I don't know about you guys, but I I only get around to journaling when I'm traveling, and then when I'm traveling, I'm writing things down. I sometimes I do an audio journal when mm -hmm. I travel. I just record sounds where I am, and nice. um, yeah. Uh, so in Vancouver. I, I wrote, I sat on a bench in Stanley Park, you know, in the late 90s, and I wrote kind of a visioning statement where I would like to be in, in you know, um, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I honestly forgot all about it. Um, uh, but when I was packing to move to UBC, I came across this and it was literally point by point, kind of every intention I had like put out into the world as something that mm -hmm. I really wanted to have in my life, live in a, in a beautiful city that is surrounded by the outdoors so I can pursue those interests and to be just at a at first class university in a really high academic environment mm -hmm. um, and to have an opportunity to um, help and lead and help shape um, a larger music education community here in, in BC. Um, honestly, it, it was a dream come true when, when that opportunity presented itself. That's amazing. The power of intention and the power of journaling. I think that's the whole yes. point of journaling. It's not necessarily, you know, to, to keep track of everything so that you remember it all the time, but it's just to externalize your ideas as they come to you. Right. And it's pretty powerful when you're able to line things up in your current life with something that you wrote many years ago and realized you actually did follow through on that. So that's, that's really awesome. And again, intuitively, not in some way where I wrote it down and then decided a bunch of strategies, you know, that would get <laughs> right. me there. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but just that someday um, you would hope that these things would be in your life somehow. And here they are. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who says, you know, put your order in with the cosmic waitress. So that's kind of <laughs> nice. what I was doing there. And, and, yeah. and, you know, she, she, she really delivered. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And you're, you're the, uh, the, the second guest who has moved somewhere for love and it, and it led to, you know, the Cynthia Johnson Turner also actually moved to BC to do her masters because of, of ah, that. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, folks, follow your heart <laughs> and your dreams will come true. Um, <laughs> uh, you've, you use the word collaboration so many times when you were talking about UBC and it's something that I've, the first thing that I kind of really noticed whenever I was there just for that short time was just the culture of collaboration that you, that you fostered there. Um, all of your students are just so supportive, like at least for the conducting workshop, just so supportive of it. They show up every day playing their best and so friendly to all of us that are, are visiting. Um, and it, it was 
really great to see. And I think that collaboration is is no better exemplified than in in your relationship with your colleague uh, Jonathan Gerard. And um, it brings me immense joy on a, literally a weekly basis to <laughs> see photos of you on Facebook, either going for your hikes with all your your UBC colleagues uh, or the the. One of my favorite things was that COVID uh, video that you guys did earlier this year, <laughs> just to get everyone ready, know what yes. you have to do. Um, yeah. But I was wondering, um, just because in, in many institutions, I, I find that the, the orchestra department and the band department are very much their own entities. And um, and you have proven that not to be uh, a great thing. And, and the collaboration that you and, and Jonathan show is just so wonderful. So I was wondering if you could uh, tell us about that that relationship and and how you complement each other. Oh, Jonathan is my my con- conducting soulmate. Um, <laughs> we we come we come at music from very different angles and we move incredibly different differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our own personalities on the podium and different teaching styles. Um, but ultimately we we both just love music and all kinds of music. And um, I think we saw that in each other immediately. And um, you are right. It's very rare for um, for whatever reasons. Um, and there's a long list of possibilities, but there, it's very, we won't do that. Um, but there's, it's, it's, it's very rare for there to be that close of a relationship between um, colleagues that are working together in the band and orchestra departments. Um, but we immediately saw this opportunity to one, t- we actually team teach the undergraduate conducting course together. Okay. And I would say that was probably one of the things that sealed the deal in our, our friendship was being able to teach together because mm-hmm. I learned so much watching him coach and I think vice versa. And um, so that environment is kind of a, it's a sandbox where we can play with the students and we can right. really get to know each other and learn from each other. And, um, so we, we plan our seasons together. If he has a big project he wants to do, I try to do a smaller one at the same time, um, mm-hmm. so that we're not pulling resources in too many mm-hmm. directions. Um, we we kind of envision artistic ideas together. We've um, we've built uh, an incredible um, a platform around multi-camera video recording and live streaming and a huge yeah. degree of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jonathan is he's a technology whiz. Um, you know, if he was not a conductor, he would be making millions <laughs> um, in computers. I'm sure of it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but so so we've we've kind of taken this journey together of developing the program together and always in a supportive way. Um, but the main the main thing is just having somebody to laugh with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like things can be really um, difficult at times when you're trying to manage uh, your your program and all of spin all those plates, and to know that there's somebody just right down the hall that you know, that can be there to, to bounce ideas off of and um, to ask for support. I mean, he's regularly giving all of the faculty tech support, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's like, okay, get on Zoom. I'll show you how to do it, you yeah. know. Um, right. uh, so so I think um, that's been 
really awesome. But the ability to laugh together is really, um, it's pretty amazing. So the video you're referencing was our COVID safety <laughs> protocols video. And, yeah. and we thought, okay, I mean, the students do not know what uh, we're coming back to. None mm -hmm. of us do really. What is this going to look like? What's it going to feel like? And we all had so much trepidation about it that we thought, gosh, if we could, um, you know, make a, an instructional video that also provides a little bit of levity at a time when we all really, really need it, you know, that this will be, um, this would be the way to go. And, and so that's not the only of our, of those kinds yeah, of projects. Yeah. It's one of many. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of continuing that relationship and, and, you know, what we're able to do here together. But I will say it is broader than just Jonathan and me. There is a very mm. collaborative environment in the school as a whole. And um, we have our team in, um, in, in my area, which I've helped to, to build and shape with Jose Frank Ballester on clarinet and yeah. uh, Valerie Whitney on, on the French horn. It's an incredible um, uh, a team working with all of um, our adjunct and sessional faculty who, who play for the VSO and in new music ensembles and the opera and do so much here. The spirit of collaboration over here um, is it's just really inspiring. And I think that's what's allowed us to, to go to a lot of places that we wouldn't have been able to in a silo, yeah. um, you know? And um, so it's some of that West Coast vibe um, uh, and getting outside in the outdoors together is part yeah. of that. And that's where a lot of those ideas come, come up, <laughs> you know, while we're snowshoeing or, or walking <laughs> along the, the waterfront, you know? Yeah. yeah. A lot of my Kate, best ideas go for a come walk. outside. I know. I was just right? going to say. <laughs> uh, too far away. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on over. We'll, we'll walk yeah, around know. the Stanley Park seawall. Uh, um, Stanley Park is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed my time there in your beautiful apartment or what is that? Penthouse? It's just, it's the most amazing view any person could ever see on the planet, I think. Yeah. I, 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 um, I show you it's a beautiful sunny spring day out here. I'm looking at the mountains and the city. Um, you need one of those, so. uh, you need one of those Shapiro flip cams. Yeah. Boom. I, Ocean. I do, where I can just like, <laughs> I, will it work? Can I try? Whoa. Let's see. Ooh. Oh. Oh, oh, a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, well. Um, but, you know, Alex has, Alex has literally has pods of whales outside of her <laughs> I know. window. Fox so. is just coming up to her Ooh. desk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, the we're, West Coast we're is all the best up. coast, clearly. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Maybe not. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> being from PEI, I have to put up a little bit of a stink. Just a little bit. Any coast, I, any I think, coastal cities. Listen, Canada is beautiful. All across Canada is beautiful. Yeah. There, it, this, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's a Go place Canada. that is beautiful. <laughs> Uh, one one thing I just wanted uh, to point out that uh, that Rob mentioned is the the live streams that that um, UBC puts on, and the reason I want to bring them up is because they're all archived, and you can go watch them. So I'm certainly going to link them because I at least on a, a monthly basis I'm watching one of your concerts from the past. Yeah, yeah, uh, so stealing. well produced. So yeah, <laughs> we we um we're we have a, a Vimeo platform that we use now, and we mm -hmm. have um, 
YouTube channels for all of the ensembles. And it's amazing because no matter where I go in the world, I meet people who will say, oh, I saw your performance of X, you know, um, yeah. in those platforms. So yeah. um, And all the really... programs are there too. And, you know, all the program notes are there for you to read and everything. It's just a really can, great resource. Can see a lot about how we think about programming um, mm -hmm. just by looking at those events. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so we've established that Canada is beautiful, but uh, being <laughs> being an American, having taught and studied in American schools, now, now teaching in Canada, uh, we were wondering if you could talk a bit about some differences that you may have observed in terms of music education in both countries. Not to start a competition here, who's better or worse or anything, but just curious about the experiences that you've had and, and that perspective. Yeah. Um, I actually, I've, i I do seem to get this question a lot. I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to, to, to say here and forevermore that I'm a dual citizen. Um, and I'm very proud of that. And, yeah. um, <laughs> um, and what I have found is, you know, this, this global perspective that we're all, I think, more and more called to to embrace um you know um it it has kind of shaped me as a musician so um whereas you know i could i could maybe make some broad generalizations you know uh, oh well when i do a an all-state honor band in the u.s the the rhythm is just so precise because so many <laughs> of the students are playing are in marching band you know um right. or you know or or um you know, when I've done provincial honor bands in Canada, this, the um, social emotional learning component of being in an ensemble together is so strong in so many of our programs that there's this like instantaneous emotional, emotional connection that mm -hmm. that is really very it's, it's just very easy to tap into in that environment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, anybody could make these kinds of broad generalizations, but that's exactly what they would be is, you know, kind of yeah. generalizations based on um, stereotypes really in some way. Yeah. But um, <laughs> um, but um, now I have had the opportunity to do a lot more internationally. And it's so fascinating to me to see how the music education programs can shape um, how musical development occurs. So in places like that I have visited in Asia and Australia, where there's a peripatetic model and young students mostly learn as individuals, and then they combine every now and then for, mm -hmm. for ensemble. In schools that do that, that's a completely different um, approach than what I experienced um, in North yeah. America, where we're all just thrown in a room together with a bunch of different instruments, and some <laughs> poor teacher has to figure out how to help us all at the same time. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's completely different. Or, yeah. or where I saw in Thailand, where there, there, there were these programs where people would develop as individuals and have to play at a particular level before they are even. Um, really allowed to play with others, you know, so there is this mm -hmm. individual journey that that takes you to a certain place before you're adding on those collaborative layers of playing in an ensemble. Um, yeah. So so more and more, I'm just noticing that these different approaches will shape the way it feels to stand in front and work with a group that that is mostly comprised of people that have been through those <laughs> different systems, you know, right. Um 
And uh, I really have seen that, you know, in the international schools where um, there's in a lot of cases a North American model, um, but with a global perspective mm -hmm. and um, and with um, in a lot of cases also um, proper resources to do it really, really well. And you see how how, you know, there are just many, many different ways to approach this. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember I did an honor band um, in, in Australia. Um, and uh, I actually, I always do a Q&A. I've taken to doing a Q&A with the students because yeah. they listen to me talk for long hours. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, how can we make this a lot more of a two-way street? And right. so I always do a Q&A now. And, and I remember a, a student asked me, you know, how do we compare you know, how do we compare to students who are our age studying music elsewhere? And my heart just kind of dropped, number one, that that was even a conversation that that like had to be had in terms yeah. of you mentioned the competitive <laughs> discussion, yeah. right? Um, um, but it also made me think a lot about how the the early music experiences in different approaches, I think they really do shape um, to a degree, what making music looks like in in later years in in different geographies and in different places, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so so that ever since then, I've been paying a lot more attention and trying mm -hmm. to learn more about what approaches have shaped the people in the room that I'm working with, you know, right. so that I can kind of understand maybe what what can I do to to help bring out the best you know to enable the best in different environments where people really are coming at this from very different places that's really interesting and uh just to know that where everybody kind of is coming from it really influences maybe the approach that you would take as um as the facilitator of an ensemble right to to know where they've been where they're coming from and what you're able to do with them and uh, not that it's a competition at all, of course, um, and it's <laughs> it's important to be able to talk about that with students, I think, too, and and let them know that these different perspectives are are an asset to these different kinds of communities and different kinds of musicians. I think. Yes, for sure. So, in a yeah. place where where individual instruction is the first step, most of the most of the members of the ensemble they they play with beautiful characteristic tone because they've had somebody. Right coaching them individually um mm -hmm. but but the rhythm may not be as strong because they're not playing with other people as often right, right. and so so you 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 find like there are different ways to go in to 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 work with an ensemble and work with an ensemble and and it's helpful to understand a little bit more about um just the the communities and the environments that they're that they're learning in prior to that yeah, absolutely. That's a really good perspective. Uh, so pivoting a little bit here, uh, you've had the opportunity to contribute to Eric Long's book, The Horizon Leans Forward. And we were hoping that you could tell us about your contribution to the book and perhaps the importance of the book as a whole. Oh, um, when Eric approached me about participating in this project, I was like, absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes. And Oh no! What have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, you know, um, it, this is such important work, um, 
and not just now, but always. And it's right now, it's, um, it's not just important, it's undo withoutable. Yeah. <laughs> um, you You've know, invented a uh, word here. <laughs> that's a, I think that might be a Grangerism, actually, but. <laughs> um, Means slow you know, down. It, <laughs> and so, so to just have the opportunity to participate in this project and work with the other co-authors, many of whom I know and have worked with in the past, um, oh, I learned so much. Um, and I learned so much about myself. Um, and I learned so much about the connections between all of us and the various um, pathways and struggles that we've had to interface with the the band world and and the music world more broadly um everyone has their story everyone has their their journey and that book for me is, is an opportunity to honor that that idea um mm -hmm. that you know it's important to look at all of these different pathways and to realize how we can open how we can open doors for for others by just developing better awareness. Um, and so my chapter, my chapter was um, uh, a challenge because uh, I was asked to talk about queer issues in, in the band world. And um, it, there has been a lot of work done in this area, particularly around music education and just dealing with um, teaching. Um, mm -hmm. But that obviously, like it hit me in a really personal way to be potentially sharing some of my own story. Um, mm -hmm. And it made me look back and reflect on my own experiences and to think about, you know, and to kind of acknowledge how when I first started teaching high school, I think one of the reasons that I almost didn't go into music was because I wasn't sure if I could be a gay man and be a band director. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure that that would actually be possible. Um, because my music teacher was so um, integrated with the community and this in the community that I lived in, even in California, was a fairly conservative one growing up. Um, mm -hmm. So so it just it, it made me have just such an appreciation um, for everybody's um, journey. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about the book. Um, also, if you read it and you read those stories told by different people, you're immediately drawn to um, the common threads. And many of those are issues of compartmentalization where people will put certain aspects of their life in one place and, and the professional ones in another. Um, but um, also um, overcoming obstacles, um, making career decisions that are either consciously or unconsciously um, uh, shaped by, by seeing maybe what possibilities exist, you know, given your own identity. Um, mm -hmm. the, the number of things that came up that I noticed in common with co-authors when we would meet together on Zoom to share our various chapters and talk about them, it, I guess in hindsight, it's not a surprise. Um, <laughs> but, but in the moment, it, it really struck me as an like the important work of this book, um, for sure. Um, yeah. Representation matters. And I do feel that, I, I hope that other people feel that this is a contribution um, 
towards that very, very long journey in our field. Yeah, because I know um, we had Eric on in August, and before that I, I, I saw him post the just the, um, I guess it was the rough draft. It was just a big pile of paper. Oh, and yeah. just thinking of how how powerful and how important and how excited I was for this this book to come out uh, and for others, you know, of my generation or younger who are in, in undergraduate programs that are going to, you know, this is going to plant a seed if it hasn't already and, yeah. and better the and better the world. And when, when you were speaking, I was uh, I was thinking of like all the stuff I've taken for granted. Um, growing up in PEI, actually, my high school band director who now teaches at Western, he's the head of choral studies. Um, but he um, he was a gay man, and yeah. he he was our teacher. So I I was very lucky to have him um, uh, as an example. Um, so I was just thinking back, I'm like, yeah, I really did take that for granted, and and how I how I interact with with people um, in my own ensembles and all those things. Um, so it's it's really interesting. And I was I was thinking even to last year, uh, we did Mother of Revolution in our band, and we oh, have three trans a- students in our ensemble. And like how wow. powerful that would be for them, right? Just yeah. to have a piece of music that you know says something about their story. But you know, I'm so grateful for for you and for this book and and all the contributors. It's just it's a really um, an amazing amazing resource. Uh, I was asked recently to to conduct an honor band at Carnegie Hall, and I was very excited. And it's a it's a it was a, a like a a junior high uh, um, aged ensemble and I thought this is amazing it's it just makes perfect sense in my life that my Carnegie Hall print premiere is going to be with middle schoolers um <laughs> it, it, it honestly it was it was amazing but I I chose to do a program that was primarily by living uh women composers and Kate Kate was one um Ooh, we did her chasing yeah, I sunlight remember seeing which is, the, the picture on the Carnegie Hall like outside yes. and I thought that's so I think that was my <laughs> Carnegie Hall premiere as well so. <laughs> well and the same thing we did that and we did Jennifer Higdon's Rhythm Stand and mm-hmm. Joni Blackshaw's Letter from Sato um and um I mean these are some of my favorite people on the planet um so um and and I can say that cuz Kate we haven't had a chance to work together much in person but just over Skype you know I remember you yeah. visiting us in Singapore mm-hmm. over Skype yes. and, <laughs> and in other settings you know this strange yeah. world um mm-hmm. uh so I'm finding that if I can be more intentional with with my programming that it can really um open up doors and I had I have so many young um, uh, female members of that honor band who specifically spoke to me, you know, 13 year olds who said, I have never done this before. I've never played music by a woman composer. This, this does matter to me. And I had one young woman that came up to tell me that she decided she's going to be a composer, (laughs) you know, and, (laughs) I know, right? You did that, Kate. Well, you you did like that. So, up. <laughs> we did that. So, <laughs> so I do think it's it's just it's really vital, and and I'm trying to get better at it. You know, I'm trying to get better at that intentionality. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a long, long journey for me to get to know these works and these composers, and to 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 always like step out in front and and make the the choices to um, you know be that that thoughtful, intentional uh, programmer um, in that in that respect. And and I just hope that this book and 
and those kinds of small acts help to contribute towards the the um, the bigger action that is happening and needs to continue to happen. Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely do. We will make sure to also put a link to the book so that listeners can get a copy as well. Oh yeah. Personally, I'm waiting till I move to the states so I can get it for a little bit cheaper. Yeah, you don't uh, want to have to mail it over the border. It's... I've got a few copies. I could I could sell you it. They would be at twice the uh, publisher's yeah, price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it signed? <laughs> we can arrange that. Okay, yeah. okay. I'll think about it. Let me talk to the wife and I'll see what can happen here. Um, but um, you know, you you were speaking about programming and and um, one of the greatest inspirations that you are to me is is as you know looking at your programs and you're just so original and so thoughtful uh with with choosing your well it seems anyway from from what i'm observing um and i'm i'm always stealing ideas for you if i i need to admit this to you in my recent application for ASU part of our part of the application was to create a program so i i uh i I'm just in love with that automatic earth program. So I kind of stole the idea. I didn't steal any of the pieces, but just the idea of it mm. and made and made my own. Um, but yeah, and I was just wondering if, if you could talk about um, what your kind of programming process looks like before the concert season starts. And uh, as we just mentioned, the opportunity we have as, as music educators to select music that will feed our, our students musically and technically, but also, you know, we have a chance to make a statement about, you know, making the world a better place in some way. And that automatic earth program comes to mind whenever I think about that. Oh, thank you. That, that, that concert was a labor of love and, um, they all are in, in some way. Um, but you know, um, oh my gosh, we could do a whole session on this. So, so, (laughs) so I'll try not to go there. Um, uh, but you know, I, to me, the, the, the works we're engaging with and, and our approach to sharing them that combination, not just the works, but also our approach to how we have a shared experience with an audience. Those two things are vital and critical in the creative process for me. And I envision that shared moment um, before I start, um, you know, rehearsing a, a project. Um, and uh it, it's always a spark, and the spark is always a brilliant composition by, um, you know, one of the people that I've been able to uh, learn from and work with, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, it very frequently is, is something that I feel personally connected to um, mm-hmm. because I've either collaborated with a person or, or have been moved by their works. Um, and that spark, I get to know the work as best I can and kind of everything about it. And I just start brainstorming possible connections um, to that. And, and um, it's this, it's this really fun creative process that happens every summer. It's about six weeks of, of my summer um, where I, I get out, I go back through all of the scores that I currently have I get out my recordings. I go to the websites and see what everybody, everyone's music that I love. I see what have they been up to this year. Um, And then, you know, I'm, I'm looking at databases and lists and my own lists and past programs. And, and it's just this world of possibility. Um, Mm -hmm. And in Vancouver, it's actually sunny and warm those two months, you know? (laughs) And so, 
so <laughs> it's it's not raining um uh so it's a perfect time to like be out on my deck with a huge stack of scores and just <laughs> devouring you know these this yeah. music it's honestly it's it's the best like <laughs> it's my favorite time of the year um and then that just kind of Basically, once I kind of start getting connecting threads, I start moving out from there and trying to find things that complement. And, you know, I'm always trying to avoid like the theme concert, um, which, right. you know, which I like and, you know, an evening in old El Paso is, you know, or whatever, <laughs> where where you're just like, oh, you know, where it's just too much the same. Um, yeah. Um, and that's the opposite of, of the goal in some ways. You want there to be a unifying experience, but it comes to you through all these different lenses and angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I'd like to say that, you know, that that all of that comes from that kind of work that's done in the summer. But once the project is in motion, that's when things really start happening because the students, they they have such incredible ideas for how we can present um, the music. Um, it, for example, we did um, Eric Whitaker's Sleep maybe three, four years ago. And obviously that work having had choral roots, um, we spent a lot of time with that singing the choral version and getting to know it. Um, and mm-hmm. the students came up with the idea of, you know, why do we always sit in chairs when we're playing in, in band, you know, um, because the singers are always standing and obviously that's going to mm-hmm. be better for our posture. And and could we memorize this, you know, um, like a choir does? And mm-hmm. could we stand in mixed formation so that we're not just sitting next to the people that are playing our instruments? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I started thinking, right. oh, well, what, how can we, how can the lighting help tell the story, you know? And it just, it just evolves together. The creative yeah. process is very collaborative um, at that stage. Um, and that's exactly what happened with the Automatic Earth. Um, with the Automatic Earth project, um, obviously um, the climate and the impact of, of us on the climate has been um, an issue of concern for a long time. Uh, for me, and especially, you know, living in the Redwoods, living yeah. in British Columbia, um, traveling the world, backpacking, um, um, you know, uh, I just, it's a really, really important issue. And more and more, I've been looking for connections to um, broader social justice and other cultural issues. And I think all of us have, uh, to a certain degree, um, and so I'm trying always to search for relevance, you know, mm-hmm. what's the yeah. relevance of what we're doing? It's, we're not just giving a concert, um, you know, and, and when I, I don't say that lightly because the, the, the magic and power of, of a shared live music experience is it, it's incredible. Um, but when you can add to that, um, some relevance that's connecting to issues that are very important to us in in society. I think that there's a lot of value, and I think it adds a layer that is a necessary one in these times. Um, yeah. So this automatic Earth project, um, I was uh, super excited when I got the um, the notice uh, for 
commissioning project on on that work, which I think was initiated by Jason Kassler, if I remember correctly. Right. And it was going to be this, you know, grade three, four, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, band work. And um, and then I saw the premiere that was done at, at CBDNA of that work um, and with with Gary um, leading the, the ensemble at ASU. And it was very, very moving. Um, mm -hmm. And that whole program was very moving, but but that particular part of it um, got me really excited about possibilities. Um, and we've been on this long journey here of of using video and using lighting, and we use projections at all of our concerts. and And I had just recently done a project with video mapping with one of our incredible theater students, where we created this this world, this digital world for Stravinsky's L'Histoire du Soldat. Um, and, um, so I was like, what would happen if we could use video mapping in the entire Chan Center for the performing arts and we could map across all of those surfaces? Um, and so that project, um, started with this image of bringing all of those elements, total art elements together to help kind of tell this, um, important story. And then it grew and grew at the beginning of the year. Um, we had um, the climate strike march here in Vancouver. Um, mm -hmm. Many of the students and I got out our, our instruments and we marched along with our gamelan ensemble. That's um, awesome. And, and that collaboration, one of the most important ones in my, in my life, just getting to do that with uh, Michael Tenzer, um, who's in our world music program, ethnomusicology. Um, but, that that to to actually do the the march together at the beginning of the year a few months before this project and to get the ideas rolling from that starting point was really really powerful um yeah. and so we put together a crew of students and invited anybody who wanted to participate to kind of provide their elements and we had one group of students that were in the sciences that that arranged for poster sessions in in the lobby with like, there's really incredible state of the state of the art research being done in um, climate here at UBC. Mm -hmm. So that was fantastic tie in. Um, we have um, very strong, um, very strong importance at UBC. Um, we're we're on occupied lands, and it's we could not imagine doing a climate concert without acknowledging that and making this part of the reconciliation work that is being done here. And so, um, just to be able to inform some of our ideas um, with um, these these concepts of um, um, grief um, that are shared by communities outside of our own, you know, actual grieving of the loss of climate and, mm -hmm. and life and land. Um, and, and that got us thinking about all kinds of issues like the exotic woods that our instruments are made of and right. all of the, the energy we're using to power all of these lighting effects. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it opened up just this, this real can of worms that we just got to, to, to live in together. Um, and that, I, I don't think there's a more powerful learning experience than, than something like that. And then that translates to the audience because mm -hmm. they can see the commitment, they can see the connection, they can 
feel it. Um, and that that's why I'm in music, honestly. Right. Um, yeah. So um, those kinds of projects, I not every concert can be like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's a lot of work. And, and I'm not saying that there have to be all these extra musical elements for a concert to, to be really special. Um, but if, if, if we can do it in a way that helps us move forward on some of these issues um, in, in, in modern society that need to be addressed and dealt with, then art is the perfect way to comment on and engage in these conversations, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just so much to unpack, but it was, uh, I think it really important to hear your process and hear how much time and how much thought goes into that. Cause mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably, I don't know about you, but for me, that's the number one thing I confront when I'm talking about the importance of programming when it comes to diversity and inclusion is, is it going to take me more time and more effort to do this? Mm -hmm. Well, short answer is yes, it is. Yeah. But, um, and you know, we talked to Cindy about it and, you know, the way she is sometimes. <laughs> um, well, it's just part of it now. So that's it. <laughs> like, just suck it up. Suck I'm, it up. <laughs> Cindy is a real leader in this area. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, the kinds of things she's doing are incredible. And and I'm really learning a lot from people who are approaching this from many different angles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I look at the data, my numbers are not great in terms mm -hmm. of programming for representation. You know, that's something that I have to acknowledge and and live with and work through. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but I do think about like, okay, so in terms of that, in what ways have I really collaborated closely with underrepresented composers or underrepresented performers mm -hmm. or maybe open doors for um, young students who, who needed access in some way. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and those things, I, I know that those have been a powerful part of my my life as a teacher just broadly and so it's it's um it's not a big leap to to take those skills and apply them in a more intentional and intentionally visible way mm -hmm. and for me that's the biggest change is actually talking about it and making it more visible you know um in rehearsal and outside of rehearsal because a lot of those thoughts have always been in me <laughs> and I'm engaging in those ideas. But I, I have to say, I haven't always been intentional about visibly engaging in those ideas with my students, with the people mm -hmm. I'm working with. You know, there's sometimes an underlying assumption that, oh, surely they must understand that the reason we're doing X, Y or Z is this. But I think I don't think that's the case. I think we have mm -hmm. to be more deliberately intentional. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does that, does that, no, that I couldn't agree resonate more. for you guys? I, yeah. I feel oh, yeah, the same absolutely. exact way. Yeah. 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 No, totally agree. And we have enjoyed uh, speaking with many of our recent guests about the importance of playing music by and working directly with living composers. And you mentioned that uh, a little bit just now. From your perspective, um, what are composers and teachers able to offer their students through these kinds of experiences, whether it's commissioning new works from composers or rehearsing with a composer if you're working on their piece, inviting them in to do a, a Q&A, those kinds of things? Well, I, I think let's just all share a moment of gratitude for all of the amazing living composers who give so much of their time to do these things and to engage and share with us in in their in their creative process 
um, you know, very openly, um, mm-hmm. that takes a ton of energy and commitment and um, self-awareness, um, <laughs> you know. And so I like to surround myself by people who are doing those things, <laughs> you know, because I know I'm going to be inspired. Um and I would say com- the composer residencies here, particularly here at UBC, um, have been the, 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 the things that have brought the program forward, mm-hmm. um, it, like in, a, in its broadest sense. It's had us all get a better understanding of what we're trying to achieve, which ultimately is creativity and expression and, um, you know, uh, um, a self journey in a community of others. You know, and mm-hmm. and I don't think there's a better way than than having a live composer and in, um, deeply involved in in the process. Um, I recently just did an honor band for um, it was a Southeast Asia um, International School honor band, and um, of course I was supposed to be in um, uh, Kuala Lumpur for that, um, but COVID changed those plans. Mm-hmm. So, so we're thinking, how can we, how can we still do this? And I didn't want to do one of those conductor in a box <laughs> and everyone, you know, it's just, honestly, it's not, that's not about anything that I wanted yeah. to, to portray. Um, so, but we still wanted to preserve the experience. And so I suggested um, doing Jody Blackshaw's 13 Moons, which is a, yeah. a composing piece. And we had students from all over Southeast Asia at one time, all engaging in composing. And we had, I think it was seven different performances of this work, which were all composed by each of the schools. Um, And Jody and I worked with them. I worked with them individually. She worked with them individually. And then we did tag team. Then there was nowhere to hide, right? So, um, (laughs) and um, I think... uh, that um, for me is the wave of the future, um, and it's it's a big part of our past too. I mean, the wind band genre has definitely embraced contemporary music, um, but I think engaging with new kinds of composers and new kinds of creative processes, mm-hmm. in which the ensemble is involved in composing, in pre-recording, in memorizing, in doing choreography, in whatever it is, you know. Um, that that kind of um, that move towards more um, total art, um, I think, mm-hmm. is that doorway is open by working with living composers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really well said. Yeah, is yeah, it? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I we think so. can we get you to BC that we have to make that happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and it, it, and thinking of uh, well, you just mentioned you know your work with Jody, but also your work with with Alex and and the way that she composes, uh, it just allows. And we talked about it when she was on on the podcast, but just the opportunities that she's allowing uh, our students to to explore their their own creative paths is is really spectacular. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be a B flat concert scale um, yeah. or a run or whatever it is. You can you know whatever's inside. Um, yeah. So yeah, a really beautiful thing. And sadly, we have come to the last question, the last official question here on the uh, Bandroom podcast. Um, but uh, the three of us, after this, we're going to go record a bit of a bonus episode. And who knows 
what that's going to entail. I believe it's going to be the second installment of our band trips gone wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so uh, Dr. Taylor is going to share some of uh, his wonderful stories with us. Um, and you can check that out if you become a one of our patrons uh, through patreon.com. And you can find that at patreon.com slash Bandroom Pod. Um, so check it out. There's lots of great content that we'll, you'll hear in the intro, I'm sure, or you've already heard. I'm going to stop talking now. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, Rob, uh, if you could give one single piece of advice to up-and-coming uh, conductors, music educators, what would it be? Although I know every single answer you've given has already been a golden nugget of knowledge and advice, but we want more, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> um, follow your intuition. Um, mm. Chart your own path. Um, believe it's possible. Find people who believe in you. Um, that's more than one thing, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's on a t-shirt for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, I'm, those are the things that time and time again, when I go back to, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that, that there have been times when I've had the courage to follow my intuition and, and, um, that's not always been the case, but mm -hmm. I can say that those have been the things that have really, um, it just allowed me to move forward as a as a as an artist and as a teacher, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think sometimes we all just need we just need somebody to say that to us again, mm -hmm. um, and to remember it, you know. And that's human nature. We yeah. we we need that. Um, and so I I hope that just by by um, you know sharing how important those things have been in maybe in each of our paths it, it helps it helps other people with theirs yeah i oh, think so beautiful. and yeah no it, and it and i know it's it anytime we do this this question at the end it always i think to the guest often it's like well what i'm saying might be a little bit obvious but it's not it's so not like we always need like those those reminders are just so so important and uh, I want to take this time, at least on, on my behalf, to just thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Um, just I know everything that you've you, that we've talked about will um, have such immense weight for the people who are listening. And and there's a little bit of everything here for, for people to, to learn from. And um, and personally, um, just I'm so grateful and glad that you, you that I got to know you a little bit and that you play a, a part in my, my conductor education um, mm -hmm. through going to your symposium and, and um, just being an example for me way over on the West Coast. Uh, and, <laughs> and just you really do inspire me to be a better person and, and to work hard um, just through seeing all of your work at UBC and around the world. And thank you for being the leader that you are and the inspiration that you are to all of us. This is incredible. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a, it's been a blast. Yeah, we really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything that we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast. Give us a rating and review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. 
If you really love the show, maybe you should consider donating to our Patreon page where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, and your comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. Thank you.